On a Friday, you're listening to Ask the Mayor on GPB Atlanta 88.5. I'm Ricky Babington, live in our Midtown studio with Atlanta Mayor Keisha Lance Bottoms. Good morning, Mayor. Good morning. Mayor Bottoms is answering your questions live this hour, and here is how you submit a question. On Facebook, go to the GPB News page. You'll see a live video stream of the mayor and me right here in the studio, and you can post your question in the comments section of the video live stream. Here are some audience questions the mayor will answer this hour. Why did you veto a bill converting streets from one-way to two-way? How well do you work with conservative state lawmakers? And can the city's rainy day fund be used to address homelessness? Mayor Bottoms, are you ready for these questions and more? I am ready. As always, we begin with recent news. Everybody who owns property in city limits just opened their solid waste bills. And so we've got a couple of comments. I'll I'll bring two out. Jennifer Harrelson asks, why have Atlanta solid waste bills skyrocketed in one year, sometimes increasing as much as 10 times? And Dan Valdez says, in the 13 years that I've lived at my Cabbage Town condominium, I have seen this tax increase from about $5 to $112. And he asks, what is the city of Atlanta doing to educate the public about the cost of litter? Those are the two questions that we're beginning with. All right. Well, thank you. Um, Those are great questions. And the short answer is that we haven't had a solid bill rate increase since 2004. So that's 15 years. And so it is shocking to people. Uh, But what I find is no matter how much we message it and how much we talk about it in our city council meetings and share it publicly, it's still a shock when people receive that bill. And uh, 15 years is a very long time not to have an adjustment. And unfortunately, we didn't do it incrementally. Um, So it does appear to be significant. And and for many people, it is significant. Um, But what I would say is that it is it's an appropriate adjustment at this time. And we had very lengthy discussions, public discussions about the best way to do this. And we tried to do it in a way that it wouldn't be burdensome to people. But when you've gone 15 years without an increase, then it is it's shocking and for some people disruptive. But it was the appropriate time to do it. What explains waiting 14 years to uh, up the bill? You know, I can't speak to why we didn't do it. Um, I I can speculate. Nobody wants to be the one to increase anything for taxpayers. Um, Nobody wants to do it on their watch. But sometimes and at some point it becomes necessary. And when you think about um, many of the challenges that we have in making sure that we have um, the appropriate equipment, that we are appropriately staffed, et cetera. Um, at some point, there are only certain, so many adjustments that you can make in one area without having to make them in others. And after 15 years, it was time to make that adjustment. Thank you for answering those uh, listener questions. Uh, You recently vetoed legislation to convert uh, one-way downtown streets to two-way streets. And here's a question from Courtney Cadle. We actually spoke with her at a street safety protest in Midtown where a bus killed an e-scooter rider uh, earlier this summer. There was a a proposal that was passed by city council recently to do some two-way street conversions. And all of the research showed that two-way street conversions would make the city safer for everyone. 
um, and our mayor vetoed it. My question is, why would you do that when the research shows it makes safe streets for all, which is why we're here. So that veto was not a period at the end of that discussion. It really is more of a comma. And by that, I mean we are creating a Department of Transportation that will be up and running very soon. And we thought it appropriate that we give that department, with all of its expertise, an opportunity to weigh in. And also, there were major business owners um, and operators in the vicinity of the Baker Street area who were very concerned that we had not done all that we needed to do to make sure that their businesses would not be negatively impacted. Specifically, um, I received letters from the general managers of the Hilton, uh, the Hyatt, and also the Marriott Marquis, who employ a number of people in our city and obviously host a number of visitors. And so it gives us an opportunity under our new Department of Transportation to take a look at what's being planned to make sure that we've done everything to accommodate our business owners. And at the end of the day, it really is about making our streets easily accessible and most importantly, safe. Well, we can't talk about uh, pedestrian and street safety without talking about e-scooters, of course. After four deaths, uh, you issued an emergency executive order banning the use of scooters from 9 p.m. to 4 a.m. And Nicholas Vollmer asks, what should Atlantans expect to see to make streets safer, and when will they see those improvements? Well, what we will see is that we are continuing to be thoughtful about our planning of our streets. And you have to think about e-scooters. This is new technology. And for many people, it's hard to believe we were even having conversations about Uber and Lyft not very long ago as we get this new technology. And often technology moves faster than we are able to implement policies. But what we do know is that many of these accidents, for all of those, uh, the unfortunate deaths that you've seen on television, there are many more that don't make the news with, in terms of uh, catastrophic accidents. A lot of them are happening after nightfall. So we know that this is one thing that we can do that can help improve safety, but we will continue to examine where we are with scooters. I know that some cities have banned them outright. We're not there yet. There are many people who said they rely on them. It helps with that last mile of connectivity. So we are respectful of that, but also just finding a way to balance it with safety concerns. And Atlanta City Council President Felicia Moore, of course, says that their city council's really looking at this, uh, a deep dive. So I'm sure that we'll be having more conversations about this, Mayor. We're going to take a quick break. Uh, I invite our audience to stick around. Mayor Bottoms is answering your questions live this hour. Still to come, I will ask the mayor your questions about blocking people on social media and whether bars will ever be allowed to stay open until 6 a.m. You can join our conversation on Facebook at the GPB News Facebook page. We'll be right back. So Angela Johnson asks, what happens to people who are homeless when the Edgewood underpass is cleared? What is your policy to address homelessness in Atlanta? Diane Smith also asks, the amount of homelessness downtown in encampments is at crisis levels. What is your plan to address this? And then I'm going to tack on Gianna Bailey, who says, what is the status of the rainy day fund? Can a portion be used to help resolve homelessness in Atlanta? So I often get asked what keeps me up at night, and usually my answer is my teenager. 
Um, but I can tell you that uh, in addition to that, it really is what's happening with our homeless crisis in the city. And I do describe it as a crisis. The reality is that our numbers are down with our homeless. Uh, we do a point in time count each January. We know that we're trending downward. But what is happening in our city now is it's visible in a way um, that I've not seen in many years. And a part of that, I believe, has to do with the closing of the Peachtree Pines homeless shelter. Rather than having people congregated in one area, they're now dispersed throughout the city. And as we've made strides in areas as it relates to our veterans and other groups that we are able to house and provide support services, we're down to this last group that's very difficult to reach. It's the group that many times um, is not interested in accepting social services, is not interested in supportive housing and resources. Um, many of them are, are mentally challenged and um, just have some other underlying issues. And I've, I've been told that, you know, it may take upwards of 20 touch points before they are willing to accept services. So we have been discussing this daily, weekly within our office on how we best address this. It's one thing to go in and to clean up an encampment like the ones that we see near Edgewood downtown. But if you're doing that, you're only dispersing people. They will pack up and they will move to another location. So what we are working to do with our service providers, who we have many in the city who are providing phenomenal leadership, including Catherine Marchman, including uh, Jack Harden. I mean, it's we have some really good people involved who know this very well is how do we continue to have these touch points? How do we keep our sidewalks clear? How do we address the panhandling, but making sure that we're getting people the services that they need and we aren't just moving people from one location to the other? So this is something that we, we acknowledge is an issue. We recognize that it is visible in a way that we aren't used to seeing it visible in our city, but also making sure that the solutions that we bring um, to the people that we are coming in contact with who are in need of services and supportive housing, that we have the resources available. We, we could spend the rest of this hour talking about the city's plans for homelessness. I'm going to promise our listeners that I need to move on to ask other questions, but we will be returning to this topic. Yes, so certainly. thank you. Margaret Ross asks, what is the progress on free public sanitary toilets for the city of Atlanta? And Adele Stewart on this theme asks whether the city would provide access to menstrual products in public bathrooms. Well, that is a question I've not ever been asked before. Um, I know that we have locations throughout the city, but I will have to get you an update on what our progress is and what our targets are. And we have appointed a new chief health officer in the city of Atlanta. I'm very excited about her appointment. And we will be looking at a number of issues related to public health 
and how best to provide services um, to our community. So this will be on the list of discussion points for her, and I'll have an answer for you when I see you next month. Next month, here like clockwork. Several members of our audience have asked uh, about you blocking people on Twitter. Last month, a federal appeals court did rule that actually President Donald Trump can't block critics from his Twitter account. Have you unblocked people after this ruling? So this is an interesting question. So what um, I will say, this is on my personal Twitter page. The only time that I block people is when they are abusive, um, when they, I feel like it's threatening or if they are making comments about my children or um, something that's completely inappropriate. That being said, it is my personal account. I went back in and tried to unblock some people. And I actually, I can't, I don't know how to do it. I'm not savvy. And I'm sure it's something that's really simple. I just have to get someone to show me how to do it. But um, I know a few people who I've previously blocked have created other accounts. So they are back in. So technically, they aren't blocked. They're still communicating with me and, and expressing their opinion. Mike Powell asks a somewhat facetious question. When can we remove Atlanta from Georgia? I'm not going to have you answer that question. There's really no answer, but I will follow up um, to f- ask what your working relationship is with Republican Governor Brian Kemp and our largely conservative Georgia General Assembly. And of course, Atlanta is a, is a concentration of a Democratic-leaning city. We've had a great working relationship. The governor, governor and I have found common ground on many issues, and um, the relationship has worked well. Um, and I would say that even with, by and large, the majority of the General Assembly, there's obviously been some disagreement on the airport and where we are with that and attempted state takeover um, of the airport. But other than that, I think that the relationship has worked well, and I think that Washington could take some lessons from the city of Atlanta and the state of Georgia. We don't agree on a number of issues, but those things that we do agree on, we've been able to meet in the middle um, in a way that works best for our city and works best for for the state. Is there an example of that? And we are going to get to the airport a little bit later this hour. An example of you really meeting in the middle with state leaders? Sure. Um, I I can tell you probably something we don't agree on is the abortion bill. Um, That's something that I I don't agree with. And just for our audience, that's a a new bill. It goes into effect January 1st of 2020 that effectively makes abortion illegal in Georgia after about roughly six weeks. That's the bill the mayor's referencing. But um, on a lot of things related to economic development and tourism, including the Super Bowl, I worked very closely with the governor as we were um, hosting the Super Bowl. Also, as it relates to attracting new businesses, we continue to have a great working relationship with the economic development arm from the state of Georgia. And, you know, I, the governor and I um, have very di- different political leanings, but um, personally, um, we've had a great working relationship. We got a question about guns. And Allison Amoroso asks, what is the city doing to prevent gun shows from coming to Atlanta or preventing advertising 
for them in Atlanta for other parts of the state. So it's difficult for the city of Atlanta to prohibit gun shows or advertising. A lot of that is regulated by the state. Um, But we have recently signed on, I have signed on as mayor, uh, sending a letter to Congress along with many other mayors across the nation asking that Congress go back into session to deal with the assault ban, um, assault weapon ban. And again, you know, someone had just asked a question about Atlanta and Georgia. And, you know, there's this old saying, there is Atlanta and then there's the rest of Georgia because a lot of our policies um, in Atlanta don't, by and large, agree with um, policies that people uh, feel are appropriate throughout the state. And I think as we discuss the issue of guns, it's probably one that Atlanta's leanings are by and large a bit different than the rest of Georgia. We have a question from Frank Reese on Facebook. Uh, He says, traffic, ask her about making traffic on the highways better. This may not be city jurisdiction, but we did get another question uh, saying, how do you prioritize whose road gets paved next? So why don't you answer the perennial question about traffic and the quality of our roads? Well, this is something that's a statewide conversation. And I drove myself yesterday. And uh, as I was driving, I thought somebody really should do something about this traffic. It's horrific. Somebody. (laughs) Somebody. Who do I know? Um, I was outside of the perimeter. And I I said, yeah, okay, I'm staying inside of the perimeter. Um, But that being said, we are are working with our state partners really for the first time. We're having a regional conversation on traffic and on transit throughout the metro area. And how do we tackle this? Because it's not just a city of Atlanta problem. It really is a statewide problem problem. And it's going to take time and it's going to take planning. But I think that it's important that people celebrate that we have people across the region actually participating in this conversation with the creation of the ATL Transit Authority, that it will be a more coordinated approach as to how we address transit and traffic. So that is a state authority that effectively coordinates kind of all the counties together so yes. that everybody's transportation system matches up, right? A- absolutely. Is that the best way to describe it? And, you know, we are, we're still, we're in growing pains, I would say, but by and large, the discussions are very healthy discussions on how we coordinate MARTA with some of our other regional partners and how, how and where do we expand transit. And meanwhile, in the city of Atlanta, we're continuing um, to work by creating smart corridors with Renew Atlanta, um, with our planning department. How do we make the city easier to navigate? And that's why you'll see you're seeing expansion of sidewalks throughout the city. You're seeing expansion of bike lanes. You're seeing our work continuing on expanding the Beltline. We want to make sure that to the extent that you are in the city of Atlanta, we're doing our part to make it easier for you to get around. So if you live outside of the city limits, come on in. And I know we will be talking about this at future future Ask the Mayor sessions as well. We're going to take a quick break. Uh, but please stick around. Atlanta Mayor Keisha Lance Bottoms is answering your questions next, including... 
the airport? Will the city maintain control of Atlanta's airport? And also, what is the future of the 70-acre Hulsey Yard redevelopment? As always, our audience has incredibly creative and thoughtful questions. We're so grateful to everybody who's participated. You can join the conversation now on the GPB News Facebook page. We have a live video stream of the mayor and myself right now. We're going to take a quick break. You are listening to Ask the Mayor on GPB Atlanta 88.5. Good Friday. I'm Ricky Bevington, live in our Midtown studio with Atlanta Mayor Keisha Lance Bottoms. Mayor Bottoms is answering your questions this morning, including these coming up. What is the city's plan to increase access to parks? What are the city's plans for the empty Fanplex building near the former Turner Field? And what is the city doing to protect bees? You never know what audience questions are going to come in. You can join the conversation now on the GPB News Facebook page. Uh, Mayor Bottoms, Carol Shire asks, what is the status of negotiations to decide who controls Atlanta's airport? Well, we were able to make it out of the uh, legislative session in January without there being a state takeover. I know that there's still an attempt by um, one senator in particular to take over our airport. I call it a theft of the Atlanta airport because that airport was built by the people of Atlanta and it belongs to the people of Atlanta. Um, we, it, it, Meanwhile, we have created a task force led by former Justice Leah Sears to take a look at all of our procurement processes, all of our transparency uh, processes in the city to see if there are recommendations that need to be made to allow us to be even more transparent um, and operate with an even higher level of integrity than we already do. We expect those results to be back uh, that examination to be done in October. And it's my hope that once we receive that information and we're able to share that with our partners at the state, that we can once and for all end this conversation about a state takeover at the, of the, the airport. Um, the airport doesn't belong to the state. And this notion that the state can somehow run the airport better than the city of Atlanta has really is based on nothing. Um, the Atlanta airport for many years has been the best run, the most efficient airport, receiving world-class accolades for its operations. And uh, obviously, anytime that you have an organization of that, si of that size, there'll be hiccups along the way. But our procurement policies are more stringent than the state. Our requirements are more um, stringent than the state, and we're looking to even shore that up even more with the recommendations from the task force that Justice Sears leads. The state lawmakers, however, who are arguing for the state takeover would consider allegations of fraud at the airport's procurement process more than a hiccup, though. And how do you respond to those allegations? Well, what I would say is, one, um, there have not been any recent allegations of fraud at the airport. There have been some investigations, obviously, that are happening at the city. Um, the FAA is doing an audit that I find the timing very curious. There are two airports in the nation that are being audited right now. 
Puerto Rico and the city of Atlanta. So I'll leave that to people to determine whether or not they think that's arbitrary. I do know that the senator who is leading the airport effort um, has very close contacts with the FAA. So, um, you know, I'll let people decide what they think about um, the relation to that and the audit. But what I would also say is that the state is not unblemished. The state has had its own challenges. It's had its challenges um, with any number of agencies, and there's not been a call for the federal government to come on take over state agencies. So this notion that when we face challenges that we then need the state to come take over is not based on logic. It's just based on one person, a senator from outside of the metro area, um, who wants to meddle into the business of the city of Atlanta. Moving on to redevelopment in Atlanta, Anya Warren asks, I would like to know what Mayor Bottoms thinks about the potential redevelopment of the Hulsey Yard and the inclusion of affordable housing with that redevelopment. And GPB political reporter Stephen Fowler also lives in an adjoining neighborhood. And he asks, as a resident, simply, will the city buy the property? Well, I I can't say that the city will buy the property, but what I will say is that Atlanta is changing and redevelopment is often difficult, especially for neighborhoods that are adjacent to redevelopment. But what we have to do is we have to make sure that we're smart about redevelopment, that we have input from our community partners. And also, anytime we're talking about massive redevelopment in the city, um, if it's an entity that is in discussion with the city for incentives, then certainly affordable housing is going to be a part of that discussion. And we're making sure that we're holding developers accountable uh, to make sure that we're hitting those numbers on affordable housing. As you know, Ricky, during the campaign, I pledged $1 billion towards affordable housing in the city of Atlanta. We're almost $200 million into that $1 billion pledge. So we're making a lot of progress, but we still have a lot more work to be done. There's a lot of eyes on Halsey Yard, massive Halsey Yard, 70 acres really crammed between Inman Park and Reynoldstown, really prime real estate, of course, on the Beltline. So a lot of Atlantans are hoping for some good things to come out of this. Moving on uh, on the redevelopment theme, Gorilla Car Wash asks, when you were head of Atlanta Fulton County Recreational Authority, you decided not to sell Fanplex as part of the Turner Field redevelopment. Why was it not included then, and what are the city's plans for that property? Well, Fanplex is actually owned outright by the Recreation Authority. It was Which is the county. um, It's a combination of appointees from the city and county. So the Recreation Authority made the decision not to sell Fanplex. It could always be sold at a later time. And there really has just been a discussion on how best to use Fanplex. Is it best to remain owned by the Recreation Authority? Um, or is it best to allow it to uh, go into private hands, whether it be Georgia State or some other entity? Um, and I know that those conversations are still continuing. When I was executive director, um, and I've asked the current executive director to also examine, is it possible that we can go vertical on FanPlex? 
and uh, make use of being able to rent some space and retain some space. And we've gotten some feedback that it may not be feasible to do that, but it's still an active conversation. It's not just Fanplex that still own also the media lot behind Turner, oh, not Turnerfield, the Georgia State Stadium um, is still owned by the Recreation Authority as well. Brent Huff and Mike Gardner ask, what is the city's plan to increase access to parks so that residents in each neighborhood have access to their own green space? So there are a few things that we're doing. We are continuing to work with our partners to make sure that everyone is within a 15-minute walk to parks. Uh, We have been working with the Atlanta Public Schools to even open up playgrounds in some neighborhoods that may otherwise be closed off to the public so that people can have access when school's not in session, so that people can use the playgrounds uh, to take their kids and and have access. And that's going to help tremendously Uh, with the walking distance to the parks. But we're continuing to work to acquire green space throughout the city. I live in MPUQ, the only MPU in the city that doesn't have a park. So we are working to identify space in MPUQ and just to continue um, to allow people to have Um, to be able to walk to to parks in their neighborhoods. I guess I'm surprised that you can't go to a school playground during non-school hours. Is it not open to the public? Is that what you Many of them are not. And you have to remember Atlanta Public Schools is a separate entity than the city of Atlanta. But this is something that we are working together on to open up many of the playgrounds so that people um, in our communities can have access to additional green space. I just got a question in my ear. We have to explain to our listeners, what is an NPU? You said you live in NPUQ. Why don't you explain the history dating back to Maynard Jackson? You know what? I love that that someone asked that because a lot of times we speak in acronyms and um, we use them so much inside of City Hall. I have to remember that people don't always... Uh, recognize those acronyms, but an MPU is a neighborhood planning unit. It was a system that was created under Maynard Jackson, and the city of Atlanta is divided into different boundaries, and each community falls under a particular MPU. They meet monthly, and if you are a resident, by virtue of your residency, you are a member of that MPU, And they have elected officers and you can go and receive information on from the planning department, from the police department, from the fire department. All of the departments are represented. And if they aren't there one particular month, then certainly they can be there the next month if there's a request. And for people... um, Some people are familiar with homeowners associations and how they meet. Well, the MPUs are our neighborhood associations throughout the city. And they're truly grassroots. They're volunteer and they're run by locals. These aren't, it's not city council members who are running these NPUs. Absolutely. And you also have an opportunity to vote on different projects to see whether or not you approve of something you have say so on certain development projects. So if you aren't familiar with your MPU and you live in the city of Atlanta, I encourage you to learn more about it and to attend a meeting. We have a question from at Save Our Bugs on Twitter who asks, you probably can guess uh, based on the Twitter handle, what is your administration doing to protect Metro Atlanta pollinators 
bees, and other beneficial insects uh, flying around the world who are experiencing sharp population declines. Well, we have been working through our Office of Sustainability um, with many of our urban farmers to make sure that we are doing what's needed um, to protect our insect population. But there is an entire department in the city of Atlanta, the Office of Sustainability, um, that focuses on issues just like this, issues that may not be top of mind for everyday people in the city of Atlanta, but certainly very important. So I know that this is an issue that's being addressed and being discussed by our Department of Sustainability. And, you know, I meant to ask you this show. We're going to have to do it next month. City of Atlanta, the city council just bought maybe a seven-acre urban farm property. So I'm promising our listeners that farming in the city is actually a growing issue, and the city council is getting involved. So, of course, we can't have farms without bees. So, and this is um, uh, this is actually something that was purchased by the city of Atlanta, but that legislation was carried by Councilmember Carla Smith, and it is one of um, the largest urban farms in the country. So very exciting. We will learn more once I do my homework and I can ask you more about that. Uh, so thank you for filling us in on that new uh, urban farm here in Atlanta. We're going to take a quick break, so stick around. Mayor Bottoms is answering your questions next, including why did the city host Drag Queen Story Hour? And the mayor will bring us a status report on the My Brother's Keeper Mentor Program for Atlanta Boys. She announced it uh, on last show, so we'll get an update from that on that after this short break. You are listening to Ask the Mayor on GPB Atlanta 88.5 and streaming live on the GPB News Facebook page. I'm Ricky Bevington, live in our Midtown studio with Atlanta Mayor Keisha Lance Bottoms. Mayor Bottoms is answering your questions. And we, just before the break, talked about how the city is protecting pollinators like bees and the mayor actually has more information now to offer. I just want to share, and this is great because we've also talked a lot about the airport, that the airport is part of the National Bee Downtown Program, and it places beehives in non-traditional urban settings. So it's great that the airport is not just this great place that travelers across the world are coming through Hartsville-Jackson, but we are also a part of our sustainability efforts through the Bee Downtown Project. So does that mean there are beehives at the airport? Is that, and I get the Bee Downtown. Yeah, well, <laughs> and certainly. So um, we are, my understanding is that beekeepers are telling us by doing this in these non-traditional settings that the bees are flourishing better than they do even in the wild. And this is just really a part of our commitment to working with our communities, especially our urban communities, to create other food sources. And what I love most is that we have what I call these non-traditional conversations in this very urban setting in the city of Atlanta. You don't think of the city of Atlanta as a place where people would have a farm or that we would have beehives. Um, but you see it happening throughout our city. And I think really it is a mindset shift for so many of us that we have to think outside the box and we have to think about how we make Atlanta sustainable and how we create other food sources um, as we talk about food deserts throughout the city. 
So I'm glad that the airport's a part of it. We have about 10 minutes left and a couple more questions, so I want to cover all this ground, Mayor. The last time you were with me in this studio, you announced to the world that the city of Atlanta was looking for 100 men to serve as mentors to boys with big brothers, big sisters of Metro Atlanta. A listener and pastor, Joel Diaz, actually did tweet me that he signed up after hearing you talk about it on this program. How many men have stepped up to serve as mentors for My Brother's Keeper? Well, thank you, Pastor, for signing up. We've had over 600 people to sign up. So now we are going through the vetting process and the orientation and training process to make sure that those who have signed up are um, will be an appropriate match for our young boys and young men. And I think it really just speaks to Atlanta that we sent out this call to action and we were looking for a hundred folk to sign up and we had so many more. And so this is just a part, one small part of what we will do with the Obama Foundation and the My Brother's Keeper initiative. And it really is about improving the outcomes for our young men of color in our communities. And I know we'll keep getting updates from you. So thank you. Brittany Crosbergen asks why you recently hosted Drag Queen Story Hour with Miss Terracotta Sugarbaker reading to kids. Crosbergen says, I believe that teaching children about sexuality in any form will take away their innocence. This is something that should not influence our children. There was nothing about story time hour that was about teaching sexuality to children. This is in keeping with Atlanta being an opening and welcoming city to all. And when we learned that um, Drag Queen Story Hour had been discontinued in Alpharetta, we extended an invitation and we opened the doors of City Hall. And there were families of with all makeups there. I had my children there and they thoroughly enjoyed it. And it's just about, for me personally, as a mother, I think that when you have conversations um, with your children very early on and, and reminding them that people come in all different forms, shapes, sizes, colors, um, that it's not a thing when they get older, that they understand that this is life and that we shouldn't discriminate and we shouldn't look down and, and we shouldn't turn people away based on their differences, but we should embrace them. My children enjoyed it and so did so many other children across this city. Nightlife Guider asks, Mrs. Mayor, we the ATLians want the nightlife to go till 6 a.m. How can we make it happen, Captain? Make ATL party late again. Well, what I will say, <laughs> I needed like a, a, a music bed under that. I, I just I, I had a flash of, of my grandfather used to drive a truck through downtown and he would haul paper from hotels. And I'll never forget, he used to get up at three, four in the morning to go downtown and service these businesses. And it was one year doing Freaknik. And he said the people were out so Early this morning. Early, I love it. <laughs> I said, no, Granddaddy, you were out early. They were out late. But this is a conversation we've had um, regarding nightlife in Atlanta. And um, it is a continuing conversation. We recognize that people want to party. Um, it's the reason that we are creating entertainment zones in the city. 
particularly around the gulch outside of resi- highly residential areas so that there can be a place that people can enjoy the nightlife of the city, but it not interfere with people who have to get up early and go to work. So an entertainment zone is kind of a concentrated region like the Gulch, where you can stay out late, have fun, loud music, cars, traffic. That's kind of manageable. It's not spread out all over the city. It's it's not in someone's backyard. And we know that there are some residential um, developments around where the Gulch will be developed, but and we will be respectful of that, but that we create an area that people, a destination place that people can go to and enjoy uh, nightlife in the city and that we don't have many of the issues that we had in previous years in Buckhead and um, it being intrusive on longstanding neighborhoods. So the city's looking at, at instituting that. We will be looking at that as we redevelop, as we develop the Gulch and as we create this entertainment district. I'm sure that that's going to be a part of the conversation. Okay, great. You were on the field at Mercedes-Benz Stadium on Wednesday for Atlanta United's win over Mexico to take home the Campionas Cup. It has been less than a year since Atlanta United brought Atlanta its first professional championship since 1995 with the MLS Cup. So Will Dickerson asks, what is your opinion on what Atlanta United has done for the city of Atlanta as a whole? I just had this conversation with the commissioner, and what I love is that Atlanta United has made Atlanta a soccer town, and we have been able to erase all the myths that we are the worst sports town ever. We've embraced this team, and if you've ever been to an Atlanta United game, you'll see that it's often more crowded, quite often more crowded than a Falcons game. And you have people like me who don't know anything about soccer. But I'm excited because the team is here. And I think that it has put us on the world stage in a way that, unfortunately, uh, many of our other sports teams haven't done, probably with the exception of the Braves. But it's great to have a championship team. And we're still hoping for a championship for the Falcons and the Hawks. I know it'll we happen. Are. We It's going to happen for the Hawks it and will. Falcons. <laughs> Keep hope alive. We certainly are. Well, that is all the time we have for our Ask the Mayor session with Atlanta Mayor Keisha Lance Bottoms. Unless there's something you'd like to add, Mayor, before I close. Thank you for having me. And I will make sure that before I come back next month, I have my two cups of coffee before (laughs) we begin so I don't have a brain freeze. Um, But I I appreciate the questions and I was sharing with you before we went on air that it's keeping me on my toes as well because it gives me an opportunity to really know what people are interested in. And then sometimes we receive questions and it makes me stop and go, that's a great question. Let, Let me follow up on that and let me get a little more information. So I appreciate it. People who live in Atlanta are really engaged and curious and care. And I, too, have been very impressed with you, our listeners' questions, the creativity, the thoughtfulness. And, and frankly, people do their homework, and then they come and they ask the questions saying, you know, this, 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 and this. And I can't necessarily read it all on air, but people are really paying attention. So thank you for being open to addressing their questions. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. So, Mayor Lakeisha Lance Bottoms, thank you for answering our questions today. And thanks to our listening and viewing audience. Yes, we're here on the radio, 88.5 FM in Atlanta. We're also on Facebook Live. 
at GPB News on the Facebook page. You can continue to join the conversation there by leaving your comment or question, and you can share that with your friends as well. Folks working on this radio and Facebook broadcast include Sophia Salaby, Jesse Nicewanger, Deborah Gilbert, Alex Ward, Ellen Reinhart, Robert Jimison, Ross Terrell. We have many other GPB team members who support this program. Thank you. GPB's chief content officer is Allison Hashimoto. And we will be back next month with another Ask the Mayor with Mayor Keisha Lance Bottoms answering your questions live. You can submit these questions all month long. Email us at allatl at gpb.org or hashtag on Twitter questions for Keisha. I'm Ricky Bevington. Have a great Friday.